Our Father, we do uh, so thank you that you speak to us. Uh, We thank you that you are present with us and that you are at work in us by your Spirit. We thank you for your word and that in it we hear truth. Uh, We get a true view of the world in which we live. We see you, we see ourselves, and we pray that as we look into your word today, you will help us to see truth and respond to your glory. Amen. Well, last night we thought a little bit about uh, why uh, we should go to church. And, uh, and we thought about... Um, oh, get the technology working. Um, we thought about, I guess, the benefits uh, of, about how when we gather at church, we meet with God. Uh, and there's a great joy that comes from that. But we still, I think, sometimes hear people saying, but is it really necessary to go to church to be a Christian? Is it really necessary? I mean, surely uh, being a Christian isn't about doing stuff, right? Uh, You might have heard it said, going to uh, church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Uh, it doesn't, it's not going to church that makes you a Christian, right? I've met lots of people who go to church all the time who don't really seem to have any relationship with God at all. And uh, I've also met people who love Jesus but don't love church. I don't know if you've met people like that, you know. They're like, yeah, Jesus is great, love the Bible, but church, I just, I just don't like it. And, uh, and it's not what I do it, that makes me saved anyway, is it? It's by tr- trusting in Christ that we're saved, He has made the way of salvation open to us. And if we trust in him, then we're safe. So why church? Why bother? I can get good sermons off the internet. You could download these talks probably next week. Why bother being here? Well, there are some people who say, well, you don't need to. Don't worry about church. It's just a hassle. In fact, this lady, Kelly Bean, wrote this book. If I can get my flicker to work. Oh, it's not on. Here we go. Ah, there it is. How to be a Christian without going to church. She basically says the great news is that it's possible to be a Christian and not go to church. But by being the church, remain true to the call of Christ. That's what she says, being the church. So what does that involve? Well, basically it just means hanging out with Christians. Just find some Christians that you like and do what you like with them. You could go for a bike ride, you could write some songs, do some craft, do some baking... She said, you know, that's just being the church, right? She said, the effort it takes for overcommitted, overextended people to get to to a 90-minute service or give time to programs and church events can be too much. Sometimes staying at home on a Sunday morning seems like the best way to remain sane. I mean, you get to stay at home on a Sunday morning and go to church, right? That's a double bonus. But why? but, But is she right? Like, is it really necessary that we go to church? Well, I think Paul actually addresses that question in this passage we're looking at in Ephesians chapter 4. See, here he says we need to be a part of a church because we are body parts. You are a body part. And a body part can't survive apart from the body. See, chapter 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians is kind of the so what part of the letter to the Ephesians. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul has reviewed the wonderful truths of what Christ has done for us. And, And the fact that Christ is reigning over all because he has won salvation for us. 
Uh, We saw last night that because of Christ, we are uh, restored in our relationship to God. We have peace with him. But as we come to chapters 4 and onwards, then we kind of start thinking about, so what does this actually mean for the way that we live? In fact, in verse 1, Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Essentially, it means, I urge you to walk in a worthy way, given how you have been called. Walk worthily. Thank you. The whole of our lives is supposed to be a response to what Christ has done for us. And the remarkable thing is that that worthy life that Paul encourages us to live is a life in community. The worthy life that we live is a communal life, it's a together life. And that's why in verse 2 he says, uh, be completely humble and gentle, be patient Bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another. That's how you live a worthy life. You, you bear with one another together. See, as I mentioned last night, we often make this mistake of thinking about our relationship with God as an individualistic thing. Jesus has saved me and I'm saved because I trust in him. But we're saved into a community, into a family. You know, there are 59 times in the New Testament where we see one another commands. These are, you know, ways that you should live with one another, love one another, care for one another, uh, bear with one another in love, like Paul says here. 59 times we see that through the New Testament because it's such an integral part of living the worthy life. And that's actually an amazing blessing. See, as I mentioned earlier in my testimony, our salvation brings us into a community in which we are accepted simply because of Christ. Not because of who we are or what we've done, not because of what marks or grades we've got. You know, I think we we all spend our life, pretty much from the moment we start socialising, from when you get your kindergarten, you're trying to work out where you fit. You're trying to work out who are your people and it gets really hard when you get to high school. And it's like, am I a a nerd or am I one of the popular kids? Am I like an outsider kid or an emo kid or am I a sporty kid? Like you find your categories, right? And then you try and do whatever it takes to fit in that category. You have the right clothes and the right hobbies. And you know, it doesn't actually stop when you grow up. We still try and find these ways of identifying ourselves with groups. The car we drive or the clothes we wear or the phone we use. But in Jesus, it's him who defines us. It's our relationship with him. We are called to him and to his people. You could say his peeps are our peeps. When I say stuff like that, my daughter always goes, Oh, Dad, no one talks like that. (laughs) Do you know how I feel, Pete? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) The joys of having a teenage daughter. You see, a life worthy of the gospel is a life lived in community. It's part of a body. And that's why Paul uses the image here of the body of Christ. And he says three things about this body that we're going to think about. He says, there is unity, there is diversity for the goal of maturity. There is unity and diversity for the goal of maturity. 
So let's think first of all about unity. The church is described here as a body because we are inextricably linked together. We are one. All the parts of the body depend on each other. I have a friend who had uh, what's called a ring avulsion injury. A ring avulsion is when something catches on a ring that you're wearing and it rips off your finger, right? I've got a photo. No, just kidding, I don't have a photo. (laughs) There are some medical people out there who are like, yeah, yeah, show me the photo. Anyway, no. But his finger is no longer there. And his finger is dead. We don't know where it is. He doesn't know where it is, right? Because it's not connected to the body. You can't be a body part apart from the body. See, Paul's trying to drum this into us in verses 4 to 6. Now, I want to do something a little bit Anglican here. Um, These are verses 4 to 6, right? And I want you all to say one, and I'm going to read the rest of it, okay? We're going to do like a call and response thing, okay? So, I'm going to read it, and you're going to say one. So... There is body and spirit, just as you were called to hope when you were called. Lord, faith, baptism, God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, what do you hear? One, seven times, one, one, one. I think Paul wants us to understand that we are one when we are in Christ. We have been called by one spirit to one hope. It's interesting that this is actually shaped around the Trinity. There is one spirit in whom we have one hope. There is one Lord Jesus, and he is the one in which we put our one faith and the one we've been baptised in. And there is one Father God who's over all and through all and in all. There is one Lord And Paul's always trying to remind God's people of this. Uh, He says it in 1 Corinthians 10, because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share in the one loaf. Uh, Later in the same chapter, we are all members of one body. One body, Paul's constantly saying. And that needs to dictate the way that we live. This life worthy of the calling that we have received is a life lived as one body. Now, I like to do a bit of running. That's my uh, most common form of exercise. I love cycling too, but running is more time efficient. I can get a good workout in less time. Now, this isn't me, and it's not Barack Obama either, but it does look a little bit like him. But when you're running, uh, the thing I like about it is your whole body gets a workout, right, in a really short space of time. Everything has to work. And all the parts of the body need to contribute. So the brain says, all right, legs, let's run. And so the legs then need to start running, right? They humbly submit to the willingness of the brain. But then, because they're working hard, they need to say to the heart, all right, heart, we need more blood. So then the heart needs to work harder to serve the legs. But the heart goes, hey, lungs, we need some more air because we need this oxygen in the blood to serve the the legs, And then everybody says to the guts, whatever you're doing, just stop, because we we can't have you digesting food while we're trying to run, right? So all the body parts have this relationship with one another, right? And they, they have to sort of submit to one another, serve one another, so that the whole body can run. 
So that's why it's such a helpful image, I think, for us to think about for the church. We all submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what Paul says in chapter 5. We serve one another. We are humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. We humbly put the needs of those around us before our own. We respond gently, even when people hurt us. We're patient with those who see things differently to us. Because we're one. And so that's what it means in verse 3, to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Notice that Paul doesn't say create unity of the Spirit. He says keep the unity of the Spirit. We have unity in the Spirit because we've been saved by this one Lord into this one body. We need to keep that unity through humility and patience and gentleness. So is that how you think about your church? Is that how you think about the people that you gather with? That you are linked to them? If they are hurting, do you hurt? If they are burdened, do you share that burden? If they're feeling excluded or left out, are you doing whatever you can to draw them in? If they're celebrating, do you celebrate? Now, usually that would be easy, you know, but sometimes things happen in other people's lives and it hurts. Maybe you desperately want to get married. It's hard to celebrate with the one who does. Maybe you desperately want to have a child. It can be hard to celebrate with the one who's just had one. But we are one body. We consider one another's needs before our own. See, and to do this, we have to fight, I think, against our natural tendency to just think about us, to just do what's best for me. What suits me is to stay in bed, and what suits me is to just go ahead, go to the beach on Sunday afternoon. Rather, we need to think about the body and how we can serve one another. Now, I want you to just look around the room. Just, come on, look at each other. You, are the, you, you see each other each week, Right? That's what church is for. You get together and you see each other. Sometimes I think it would be better if we did do church in a circle so that we could actually eyeball each other. It would have to be too big a circle though, right? How can you humbly, gently, patiently serve one another because you are one? That's what it is to live a life worthy of the calling we've received. But we're not just unified, we're also diverse. Look at what Paul says in verse 7. After having just said, you are one, 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 seven times, he says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. There's a difference between us. Each one of us is gifted by Jesus differently. See, I think Jesus here is, is, is there's, there's a little bit of a similarity here between Jesus and Oprah, just a little bit. You know, Oprah was renowned when she had her show for, like, giving stuff away. I, I went back and watched the video where she gave a car to everyone in the audience. It's, it's absolutely insane. You just see them all. It's all women. All go insane because they just got given a car, right? You get a car and you get a car and you get a car. It's hilarious. 
Jesus does that, but he doesn't give us all a car. He doesn't give us all the same thing. He gives us something unique because he knows each of us and he loves each of us and he knows how we're made. And he gifts us differently. Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And that's what you need for a body, right? You need everything to be different. You need all the parts to have different strengths and different roles. And so we see this all over the place too in 1 Corinthians 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Lots of parts, but all one. Romans 12. Just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. This is the picture of the body of Christ. Diverse. We're all different. We have different gifts, different strengths, different weaknesses, different roles to play. And so this has a couple of implications, I think. First of all, it means that we need to accept each other's differences. We are different, which means we do things differently, right? You might be a brain in that you're one of those thinking, planning types. Okay, you like to assess all of the issues and work out the best path of attack and work out what's, you know, might be, maybe you're an engineer. I love engineers, they run projects so well. But engineers find heart-type people a bit difficult because they're all going off on their emotions all the time, right? They've got all this compassion overwhelming for these issues that they see and they just want to go and hug people and it's like, you know, we've got to do a risk analysis before we do that. <laughs> And then you've got feet and hands and they're all just running off and doing stuff and not seeming to think about it at all. And now we all have these different strengths, right? And, and that's the case in the body of Christ. We all have different abilities and strengths. And we need to be thankful for that difference. When you see someone who has some quality that's not like yours, be thankful for it because Christ has given them to you for your blessing and for the benefit of the body. See, if the whole body were an eye... Where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? We need the diversity. So when people rub you up the wrong way because they do things wrong, then step back and give thanks. Because it's a sign of God's gracious, diverse gifts. The second implication is you need to use your gift. You are gifted, each of you. Christ has given gifts to each one of us. So how are you using your gifts? How have you been shaped and moulded for his glory? How have you been equipped to serve his body, to serve his purposes. You need to use your gift. When we got married, we got all sorts of gifts. Um, here's a picture of some of them. This is this hand-painted pottery from Italy, Corso de Fiori. I quite like it. I know it's a bit daggy, but, you know, I like it. Anyway, so we got some of this stuff for our wedding, right? Now, I love gifts, but I'm terrible at remembering who gave us what. 
but my wife is excellent at it. And so when we have people over for dinner, she knew which bowl we had to get out. Because <laughs> so like, you've got to be using the gift, don't you, when the person comes. See how we love this bowl you gave us, and so we're using it. <laughs> you need to use the gifts you've been given. Christ has gifted us for his glory, so use the gift. Don't be lazy. Don't be tempted to just leave it to everyone else because nobody else is shaped the way you are. Nobody else can do what you do. Now, in this, in this passage, Paul does mention a couple of gifts in particular. Uh, in verse 11, he says, uh, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers... Now, it's interesting that these gifts that he mentions here are actually people rather than kind of qualities. Uh, in other passages, he talks about a whole range of other different gifts too. Um, now, it's tempting, I think, to see these four gifts here and think that maybe they're more important. But I think they have a particular role. See, what these four gifts have in common is that they all have this intimate relationship with God's Word Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers are people who speak, proclaim, share God's word. And they have this gift for a particular purpose. See, it says in verse 12, uh, Christ gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. So these roles have their gifts to equip God's people for works of service. So people who are pastors and teachers, for Pete and Dom and Marshall, and others among you who are gifted this way. You're not gifted so that you can do all the ministry, right? It's not so that everyone else can sit back and go, oh, good, they'll do it. But they are gifted by Christ to equip everybody else to do the ministry, Right? They, they are the equippers of all of us. And they equip everybody to do the works so that each part can serve. See, in verse 16, it says uh, that, that the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. See, these, these four categories, because pastor teacher is actually sort of one, um, uh, exist to build up the body so that the body might do the ministry, so that we all might do our part. See, those who are gifted these ways are kind of like personal trainers, in a sense, or like physios. How many physios do we actually have here? Yeah, a few. Right, there you go. An overabundance of physios. So I used to be a physio, right? Um, I was never a particularly good physio, which is why I now do something different. Um, <laughs> but but one of the things that that is frustrating when you're a physio is someone who comes in and they've got, you know, let's say back pain and they just lie on the bed and they sort of go, just fix me. <laughs> just make me better. You know, and, and, and you're like, I can't do that, right? It's not like I can do magic and just fix you. A physio is someone who, who helps you work out how to use your body properly and strengthen things that need strengthening and rebound and get you, yep, yeah, <laughs> preach it, sister. <laughs> and then 
the body works properly, right? They're like a personal trainer in a sense. See, that's, that's kind of what these gifts that Paul's talking about do. They are gifted by Christ to speak his word in such a way that the whole body is built up. And that's why it's so important that we spend time coming together, hearing from God's word. Because as that happens, you are being built up to use the gifts that Christ has given you. To be the body part that you are created to be. Whether it's a hand or a foot or a liver or a gallbladder or whatever. It's, it's as we come together and hear God's word taught that we are equipped for service. And if that doesn't happen, then the body parts don't work properly. And we all know what it's like when one part of your body doesn't work. It affects the whole body, doesn't it? My wife recently had this like splinter thing under her thumbnail. It's kind of like something got in there. She doesn't even know what it was. But then it got infected and it was crazy. And seriously, she couldn't do anything. Like it was her thumbnail. But it was so painful that she was incapacitated until she went to the doctor and they cleaned it out under local anaesthetic and all that sort of stuff and then it was better. But seriously, like a whole day where basically a thumbnail meant she couldn't function. The body needs every part to be built up and serving. So we are one, but we are different. We have unity, but diversity. And the goal of this diversity is maturity. Christ has gifted us all differently for the purpose of maturity. Look at verse 11 again. Christ gave, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the whole body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. As we together use our gifts to serve one another, then we grow to maturity. And that image that Paul uses, uh, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, as all of us are using the gifts that God has given us, we will more and more take on the resemblance of Christ. As a community, we will look like Jesus because we will be demonstrating the qualities of Jesus. As we love each other and care for one another, the way that we treat each other, the way that we treat outsiders, as we show humility and patience and gentleness and as we bear with one another in love, the fullness of Christ is at work amongst us. You see, this is the goal, if you like, of church. To grow to maturity, to be built up, to become more and more like Jesus. And we need that because our tendency is the other direction. Our tendency is not to grow to maturity, but instead to be like infants. Verse 14, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. See, our tendency is to be pushed around by different ideas. We need people who are going to faithfully take us to God's word and help us grow in our godliness so that we might serve one another. Because there are lots of ideas out there that I think can lead us astray. 
There's one that I think I want to mention, one that I see all too often, and that is that we too often hear from Christians, sadly, that Jesus came to make everything perfect for you now. Now, there's no doubt that the gospel leads us to a life of joy, a life of purpose, a life of peace. A level of satisfaction is found in Christ that you won't find anywhere else, as we said last night. But a life in Christ is not a life free from difficulty. It's in the struggles and suffering of life that we see God. If we are led astray to believe that everything will be perfect if you just trust in Jesus then we will find the challenges that come, which God is actually using to grow us, very hard. You see, we we don't want to be infants pushed back and forth by different ideas. We need to be held firm to the truth. We need to come together and be serving one another, building one another up to maturity so that we might truly be more like Jesus. How do we do that? Verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the Christ, uh, him who is the head, that is Christ. Like we said last night, as we speak the truth to one another, it becomes more true to us. As we love each other enough to speak the truth, even when it hurts, even when it's hard to hear, we grow See, it's a life of love in community that builds us up. It's interesting that this passage both starts and finishes with reference to love. See, in verse 2, bearing with one another in love, and in verse 16, uh, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We are people who have been deeply loved, gifted by Christ, and a life worthy of that love is a life of love. Loving one another. And as we love one another, we grow to maturity. And as we grow to maturity, we look more like Jesus. And people will see Jesus in our community. Everyone will know that you are my disciples, Jesus said, if you love one another. Love one another. So what does it look like practically? Well, let me just give you three final suggestions. The first one is, we are one, so let's look like one. We need to draw everybody in. See, we have a great tendency to just keep to our own little cliques and subcategories. Just to be with people who are like us. You know, people have the same interests and people who uh, have the same way of doing things. But... We are one in Christ. We need to uh, demonstrate the unity of the Spirit. We need to live it out. And that means drawing everybody in. Seek out people who are different from you and learn how to love them. Give them opportunity to love you. Spend time socially hanging out with people who are differently. Have Bible studies that bring people from different categories different ages, 
See, now, diversity can be difficult, but it's so much richer when we have that diversity as part of the body. So work hard to foster that. Do as much as you can to engage with those who are unlike you, whether it be age or interests or education or whatever. We are one. And to do that, there's a very important skill you need to have, and that is listening. Listening is the best ministry skill you will ever develop. If you can learn to listen, you will learn more than you could ever imagine. You need to learn how to hear life from the perspective of the body part that is not you. How does the hand see life if you're a foot? How does the eye see life if you're a liver? Learn from other people's perspectives. It will, you will gain richness and the church will gain richness. There will be great unity as you benefit from one another's wisdom. I used to be part of a church and there was this older gentleman who would come to church each week named Stan. Stan was a retired high school principal. Stan would wear a suit and tie to church every week. Nobody else did, just Stan. Stan would sit sort of on the aisle and he was very tall and he would just kind of watch, wouldn't kind of get too excited. I was a bit scared of Stan. But over time I got to know Stan and Stan is a lovely, godly Christian man who was principal of a Christian school for years and sought to help young people grow up into godliness. And he has great wisdom from being a parent and a grandparent and now a great-grandparent. I love talking to Stan now because I realise he's so unlike me. He has so much to say that I can learn from. We need to engage with people and listen so that we can benefit from their wisdom and insight. And the final thing we need to do is discover our gifts. Like I said, each one of us has been gifted by Christ. Do you know how God has shaped you? Do you know what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are? Do you know how you can best contribute to the body of Christ? If you do, then do it. If you don't, then do something and see if that's it. The best way, I think, to work out how you're gifted is to try stuff. It, don't sit in a corner and say, I'm just praying and waiting for God to tell me what my gift is. Try things. Go and run children's ministry. Go and, you know, do door knocking. Go and run a soup kitchen. Do something. Work out how God has shaped you. And you will discover your passion. You'll discover what, uh, how God has made you. And the great way to do it is to do it in consultation with those around you. Because people will see things in you that you can't see in yourself sometimes, especially your leaders. It was interesting that I was um, studying at SMBC for a number of years, uh, so I was a student there, 
And, uh, and I was interested in teaching and training people and I'd been doing a little bit of, like I was student minister at my church and that sort of thing. And the principal then said, uh, knowing that I had an interest in training, would you like to teach at SNBC? And I thought, I don't know, I'm not sure if that's quite me. I'm more a kind of, you know, just easygoing sort of talk to people I'm sitting alongside. But once I started working at college, I realised this is what God made me to do. I, I didn't realise it until I started doing it and it took someone else to actually see it in me and go, you know, I think this is where you should be. So let people give you their wisdom and insight from their observations of how you serve and try things. Don't be afraid to fail. Give something a try and if it's not your thing, that's okay. Discover how God has shaped you and then when you work it out, use it to serve him. We keep coming back to this passage in Hebrews 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see, a day, see the day approaching. You are a body part, gifted, shaped, prepared to serve Christ's body. Don't disconnect yourself or you'll die. Rather, plug in and grow so that you might overflow with the fullness of Christ. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace in calling, saving and gifting us. And we thank you that you have placed us in a community to love and serve you. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us to grow up into Christ more and more as we love and serve each other for your glory. Amen.